So a number of years ago, I had the, the oddest conversation with one of my neighbors. Uh, I knew him mainly because him and I used to shovel driveway, the driveway of our neighbor next door. But he came over and he had this strange question for me, just saying, hey, you're like a, a kind of a church guy, right? Like you're into like Jesus and, and you're involved quite a bit. I was like, yeah. And he said, I've got a, a, a proposition for you, which is kind of strange to have the, those two questions so close together. So what could this be? Um, he, uh, he and his girlfriend had been together for a long time, uh, years and years. And he said, you know, we've been thinking about it and we're, we're considering getting married. We're, we're actually wanting to, to make it official. And I'm wondering if you have the ability or you know, if you'd be able to do that for us. I said, oh, that's amazing. That sounds great. Yeah. Let me know the date and the time and everything else as well. Our, our, our proposal or what we're wanting to do is a little bit unconventional. So it was a couple of days later, I sat down in their living room and we had a conversation with him and her and they started going on telling me uh, what they wanted to do. They, they had been through a lot in their relationship. It was a uh, uh, very difficult. So a lot of ups and downs. And, um, and part of what they wanted to do was eliminate all of the, the frills as they described it. We find that there's so much extra that goes along with getting married that we just want to keep it as simple and as plain as possible. So here's what we're thinking of doing. Every summer, uh, there's a weekend in August that all of the people that they care for and that they love and that they appreciate on both sides of their family show up to their house for a big barbecue. So every, so everybody at that time, they'll, they'll come, they'll bring food. And every year they have a specific theme that somebody was supposed to bring a piece of this or a piece of that, whether it be a Western theme or an 80s party. And everybody was supposed to bring different components to make sure that the party was doing what it was supposed to do. So, so the people, uh, so I, I said, okay, so I'm, I'm with you so far. And then they said, well, what we want to do, because we'll have everybody there, is if we set the theme and we do the wedding right there during our barbecue. And I smiled for a second and I thought, absolutely, let's do it. So the invitations went out. And some people got an invitation for like a set of white balloons. And then there was another, uh, another family that they got um, invited to bring some flowers. And then uh, somebody had the, the, the role to just uh, bring a pen. So all the people started showing up and you could tell there was this anticipation of people not really knowing, okay, so what's happening? What's going on? What are, what's the theme for this year? And then seeing me uh, dressed appropriately, uh, you would be for a barbecue or pool party. I had my flip-flops and my swimming trunks and, uh, and a black leather bound book, like, a, like a, a folder with all of the documents and the marriage certificate and everything else. People kind of curious, well, who are you and, and what are you holding? I said, well, I'm the next door neighbor or I'm the neighbor from across the street. And you know, the couple, they invited me over to, to come hang out. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So you can see this kind of strange uh, uh, suspicion and this anticipation started building. And partway through the time after we had had our, our, um, our appetizers, I was sitting there and it was that time to make the announcement. So they get up and they said, you know, we're so glad that everybody's here today and we just want to say, we're getting married. And the moment they said it, everybody jumped up. Everybody was enthusiastic. Everybody started cheering. Everybody was so excited. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that you're getting married. A mom jumped up and says, oh, we got, a, we got the perfect space to get your, your hair done and we want to do this. And I know a place where you can get the dress and all of these different things. So people were just buzzing with excitement. 
And then as that kind of just like dulled just for a little bit where there's kind of murmurings in the crowd, they said, no, 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 you don't understand. We're getting married and we're getting married right now. And that was my cue. Put down my plate of uh, vegetables and dip and grab my folder and stand up. And in a big voice, I say, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. And then there was another eruption of enthusiasm. People, are you kidding me? This is happening right now in this space, right now in this space. And, and we did. And it was the most beautiful expression of um, a, a, an unexpected commitment of two people who love each other that didn't want all of the extras, that didn't want all of the, the fanfare and the planning and the headaches and everything else. They, they had what they wanted in that moment and wanted to celebrate in that way. And it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was not what anybody had expected, but it was far beyond what anybody could imagine of this good thing, of this commitment between two people. So we're, we're on our final week of our resolution series. And uh, the first week we spent some time talking about uh, what it is to remember. Um, don't forget to remember. It was uh, Revelation chapter two talking about not forsaking your first love. And then uh, the second week, uh, Laura took us through uh, Colossians chapter three talking about um, how to respond. And then last week, uh, John chapter 14 with Jimmy talking about restore. And today we're talking a little bit about recommitment. Uh, the commitment is the beautiful thing about weddings, in my opinion. I love that the two people come together and make a commitment to one another. But uh, a recommitment, a recommitment implies that there's something that happened between the initial commitment and the recommitment. So when, when, when you're in, in the, with a wedding, there's an assumption that you're making promises based on everything being pretty good. Like there's, a, there's not a whole lot of history typically. But with a recommitment, or if you've ever been to a wedding ceremony where they're renewing their vows, there's an expectation that in between the time when we said I do and the time we're saying we do again, some things have happened. Something's happened between that time. And it could be a, a drifting or uh, a, a forgetting, uh, a neglecting of the other, or, or maybe taking them for granted, or losing sight of what matters the most. And that's, that's part of why we gather as people who follow Jesus on a regular and consistent basis. The reason, the reason that we come together week after week essentially the things that we've talked about and learned about this month, about remembering, about responding, restoring, and then ultimately recommitting. This is, this is not a, a social club where we come and we um, swap recipes and try to encourage each other in that way, but this is a place where we gather with an expectation that the living God joins us and partners with us and invites us into something more. This recommitment, committing again after things have happened is, is a sign that there's always more to the story. There's always more. And ask the question, what are the things that we can be sure of? What, are, what is it that we're actually making a, a commitment to? A thing that we can be certain of? There was a word that was shared from our church a couple of years ago, 
that stuck with me. I haven't been able to shake it. And it almost became kind of um, uh, a mantra or a saying as things would, uh, things would begin to unfold. And the line was simply, what can be shaken will be shaken. And I, I've thought about that a lot, particularly over the last two years, that any time there was a, a new announcement or a new development or a new uncovering or a new discovery or whatever it was, that line, that phrase would continue to, to ring in my ears. Whatever can be shaken will be shaken. And I'm wondering f for those of us, um, anybody listening, if you're at one of our sites or you're, or you're listening to us online, if you've ever experienced an earthquake. Now, I've never experienced an earthquake in my life, but I, I've had uh, conversations and I've talked to people who have. I think by the very definition of an earthquake, I think that says everything can be shaken. Somebody described it this way, like uh, experiencing an earthquake that lasts more than a couple seconds is like being on a raft in the ocean. But instead of being in the ocean, you're actually standing in your kitchen where, where you're just kind of rocking and moving and, and, and there's, a, there's a sense of, of having no control, being completely disoriented, being completely confused, uh, a loss of balance. But the most haunting description I think that I've heard from people that, that have experienced an earthquake that's a little longer than a few seconds is that as they look around their environment and they see things that should not be moving, moving. Things that, that should be stationary and in place forever and ever and always, amen, are moving in ways that they should not be moving. Now, I've never been in an earthquake personally, but I've been in situations where it feels like everything is moving around me, where there's, there's no stability, where everything is in, in chaos and uncertainty. Things are moving that I thought that I was convinced would never move, that could never move. So it begs the question of where is our hope? What is the, the place of stability? What is the thing that cannot be shaken? Where is this place for us to make a recommitment to? Well, this line of anything that can be shaken will be shaken comes from uh, the New Testament passage in Hebrews chapter 12. So we'll, we'll turn to that now. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to turn into that place now. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. The author says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and I'm trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. 
You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who meditates, who, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking for if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. So the early Christians, as they were receiving this, this letter, uh, were facing extreme persecution and that uh, they, were, they were newly converted Jews to this new way of living, to the way. And it's an encouragement to the people to not give up the way that they were headed, to not um, sacrifice this way of following Jesus in order to find a way that was maybe a little more easier or less challenging. And it's a, it's, the passage starts off with a throwback to this, this scene in Mount, uh, Mount Sinai where the law was given in uh, Exodus. And, and it's described as this uh, flaming fire and this darkness and gloom and whirlwinds. And you see this, you, you get this picture of this idea of the people standing at the foot of this mountain and it being absolutely terrifying. I can remember my, my very first trip out west. Uh, it was some sort of uh, conference or trip. And uh, we were driving along, uh, along the coast and I'm in, engaged in a conversation with somebody who's there. And partway through the conversation, I had to stop talking. My, my, my attention was drawn somewhere else. And there had been a clearing out the window and I could see a range of mountains. And when people talk about uh, seeing something or being in the presence of nature and it being breathtaking, it took my breath away to see this, this amazing range of mountains. Mountains are very impressive and imposing. And I realized in that moment, being, um, being a city guy who spent most of my time in Southern Ontario, that the biggest things that I have ever been in contact with, the biggest things I've ever seen in my entire life, are all made by people, buildings, nothing bigger. I've never seen anything bigger than a building in my life. And then to realize that, no, there's so much more and they're so much bigger. And somehow this thing uh, stirred up in me that I just had the urge to climb this mountain. I don't know why if that happens with people, they say, I guess that's why they have people that, that spend their life climbing mountains. But, but there was this urge to just wanna, wanna scale this thing or to, to just, just be in awe of it. And God spoke, going back to Sinai, and this mountain, this mountain shook. And the people, rightly so, were afraid to move. This is the place where the law was given. It was a representation of all of uh, the old ways, the, the old ways of doing things. What can be shaken will be shaken. 
But there's two words that, that tie this together that are so important for us to be, to be mindful of. What can be shaken will be shaken. So that. The things that can be shaken will be shaken. So that. What cannot be shaken will remain. For a good chunk of the last two years, I was using this idea, oh, what, anything, anytime something would go wrong or something would be um, a distraction, I would think, oh, there we go again. What can be shaken will be shaken. More shaking going on. But to forget this important piece is that, no, the, the implication is not, is not to emphasize the chaos that's happening, but it's to emphasize that there's something beyond what we can see or what we can understand or what we can sense that is, is sh- assuredly, Uh, solid and foundational and cannot move. That a new thing was happening that was not necessarily what was expected, but was, was better than what anybody could imagine. That the unshakable will remain. The passage says that, that this is beyond the physical, but from the one that speaks and the physical moves. I love the, the message's uh, rendition of talking about this, this second mountain. There's, there's two mountains that are being uh, talked about in this passage. One is the Mount Sinai, the old way, the, the, uh, the, the giving of the law, and then the introduction to Mount Zion, this new uh, city of God. Uh, Eugene Peterson describes it this way in the message. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides, the invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It is the city where God is judged with judgments that make us judge just. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. Jesus is the mediator of this covenant. It's interesting, covenant, it's, it's also um, wedding language that there's this, uh, this commitment and recommitment that we are, are being invited into. And unfortunately for some of us, and I think myself included in a lot of this, is, is we're not able to see it. We're not able to see this invitation clearly in the way that it's, it's, it's presented to us in its beauty and its splendor and its, in its, in its sheer size until everything that we thought was certain starts to shake. And this is hard. Uh, This is actually really, really hard. Because for many of us, we like the old ways. We like the the familiar. Where we we know exactly where we stand, even if it's not in a a good place, There's there's a strong sense of certainty in the old ways. But when we comb through history, we realize that it's the, in these, these in-between spaces, these spaces of, of ins- instability and insecurity, where the best things begin to happen, where, where God actually has an opportunity to do some of the most amazing things. The pastor and, uh, and author, Mark Sayers, uh, describes these in-between spaces these chaotic feeling, these, these spaces that feel like chaos as gray zones. And the, the sense of disorientation that comes when one thing is coming to an end and the next thing is not yet emerged. 
there's this, there's this gray zone, this in-between space that can be very, very difficult, very challenging. But somehow history teaches us that these are the, the best places for God to do amazing things. It's, it actually, it's, it's the best soil for beauty and for new life. That somehow it can be the opportunity in, in chaos and in shaking that there's the most amount of clarity of what is certain. And we have an opportunity for things to get very, very simple. When circumstances get difficult for me, there's a, there's a, a simplicity in, in my faith. I think of the story with Jesus where um, he's with his disciples and there's not enough food. And a kid shows up with two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus looks at it, blesses it, and somehow that little lunch is enough. So w when there's chaos around, I can stand on a truth that I know is, is for certain that Jesus, if I bring my lunch, there will be enough. I know for certain a simple line that as I abide in Jesus, Jesus will abide in me. Regardless of the chaos and the things that are happening, the things that are, are true and unshakable. The prayer um, that's, that's uh, most often associated with Alcoholics Anonymous, the serenity prayer is the one that, that's a go-to, the simplicity of it, the beauty of it, but the, the, the empowerment that it gives. That Lord grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Or the simple prayer from a beautiful man, Oscar Romero, who simply says, Lord, I can't, you must, please lead the way. There's such a, a, a profound and beautiful simplicity in when things are, are chaotic or seem to be shaking or falling all around that it says, no, this, these truths can be counted on. It's like the familiar story uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Again, sim uh, very simple. And we've heard these stories before, but there's a profound truth that can give us so much uh, comfort in knowing that not everything is shaking. Uh, Luke chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 24. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on the rock. Where there is chaos or disappointment or disillusionment, I want to encourage you, those that are listening or watching or for all of our sites online, for me, myself, I want to encourage us to lean into the space and trust that Jesus is there and cannot and will not be shaken. Similar to the idea of, of 
being courageous is always preceded by being fearful first. What if chaos and storms and uncertainty and shaking is an invitation to say yes, to recommit to the one that cannot be shaken, to trust that there is something that we might not have expected, but is far more beautiful than what we could ever imagine. I'll close with this, this thought from Oscar Romero and then close in a prayer that's part of our, our prayer guide that's been uh, helping us through this time of uh, resolution series. But Oscar Romero says these words. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is the Lord's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom, is, the kingdom always lies beyond us. No sermon says all that it should be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No conviction, confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings complete wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. That is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that affects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very, very, very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we come before you now to offer up our prayers of longing, surrender, hope, and expectancy as we look forward together. We pray that, would be a, that we would be a church whose individual and corporate lives reflect our claim to be centered firmly in the way of Jesus. We fully surrender to your leading, Lord. We welcome and embrace the presence and transformative power of the Holy Spirit inside each of us and in our midst as our church community. We ask you to guide us in meaningful reconciliation in all directions and for all people. We pray for your help to be fully reconciled to you, God, and also to one another in community. We long to become a safe space for every person, no matter who they are, to be able to bring their whole selves and engage meaningfully in your body. We desire to be a church that facilitates each person's transformation to be more Christ-like in their own lives. We want to live out the truths we profess and see the impact in ourselves, our families, and in our communities. We pray for, for full diversity of the body of Christ to be fully welcomed and valued in this place. We pray for the enrichment of our church through the use and appreciation of a wide range of spiritual giftings and the wisdom gained from lived experiences that are different from our own. We long to be a church that invests and, in, and empowers women's voices 
as significant and necessary to being a healthy body. We desire to be a safe place for all to bring their whole selves. And we ask Jesus that you will help us to see each other in love, that in areas of disagreement or polarization, we will choose the way of peace in our interactions with and reactions to one another. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.